Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Father, you are here. We are here. May we be here together now. In the name of your darling son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Preacher from the pulpit today, just to spice things up a bit. Don't get used to it, though. Everybody remembers high school. Who remembers high school? That was an interesting experience, wasn't it? It doesn't matter how old you are, we all remember high school. And one's experience of high school usually depends on what tribe or group they found themselves in or were placed in. Teenagers have an amazing uh, knack for dividing people into various groups and tribes, don't they? Really, really good at it. During my day, there were all sorts of them. There were preppies, and there were jocks, and there were goody-goodies, and there were burnouts. You were either grunge or hip-hop. There were the skaters. There were the goths. There were the nerds and many, many others. And each had, you know, the stereotypical music they listened to, the fashion they wore, they engaged in certain recreational activities, you know, things like that. But really, these were simply subgroups that fell under two main categories, popular and loser. Those were the main ones. And nothing highlighted this dividing line, this social dichotomy better than the high school cafeteria. Who remembers the high school? I don't think I would survive a high school cafeteria these days. It was a lawless post-apocalyptic wasteland. It was crazy. I don't think I would survive. It was all about what table you sat at. What table did you sit at? Did you sit at the popular table? Or did you sit with the losers? If you were popular, you wouldn't dare eat with the losers. You wouldn't want to be seen engaging in any type of close social interaction with these insignificant people. And the losers could never really make their way to the popular table, ever. They couldn't change their status. It was next to impossible. It's amazing. There's something in the human DNA. To eat at one's table, to sit and dine with another human being is to say that they are equal, of equal dignity, worth, and value. It's always kind of been that way since the dawn of humanity. What I find so interesting is though most of us in this room who have graduated from high school, high school never really graduates from us. Because there's a thing in our DNA also that we're keenly able to do is creating division, dividing lines, social barriers, setting up stereotypes and placing people in their appropriate boxes. We are really, really good at that, aren't we? And this is where we converge with the Acts passage today. Peter, the apostle, has just returned to Jerusalem after a life-altering experience, something that really changed him. See, he was directed by God to go to the house of a Gentile, which was a non-Jewish person, a centurion, in fact, part of a soldier of the Roman Empire, a leader. 
And this was not an easy thing for Peter to do at first. And why was that? Well, he was raised at the time as a Jewish man and to make a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. A Jew is never to engage in any type of close social interaction with a Gentile in this time. God had to prepare him with a vision. God had to show Peter that God was up to something, that God was doing something new. And Peter must lay down his social distinctions and his ethnic prejudices. And so he did, as God directed. He went to Cornelius' home, and he found out when he got there the whole reason why he was there to begin with. You see, Chris Cornelius had a vision as well. And he was directed by God to send and find for a man named Simon Peter so that he can come and bring him a message that would change his life. And so Peter preached the gospel to the Gentiles and simply told them this, that anyone in all the world who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, that anyone can receive forgiveness and reconciliation with God. doesn't matter who they are or what they look like. And at that moment, the Spirit of God was poured out on the Gentiles in the very same way that it was poured out on the 121st all-Jewish believers. Peter didn't have to lay his hands on anyone. He didn't pray for anyone. It was the same exact event. And in that moment, Peter realized that they were to be included into the church 100%, that God has no favorites. God has no favorites. There's no partiality with God. For Cornelius, his friends, his whole family, they all received Jesus. They all gave their life to Christ. And Peter had them all baptized. This was a radical shift in Peter's thinking. It changed his life. But in Jerusalem, there were some church folk. There's always some church folk that don't like change, don't like things. They didn't like what Peter did. They had a problem with it, and they accused him, and they criticized. But the interesting thing was they didn't criticize Peter for preaching to Gentiles. As far as they were concerned, he could do that all day long, as long as he did it outside. It's the fact that he went into their house, and he sat at their table, and he ate with them. For to sit at table and to eat with another human being is to see them as an equal a person of equal value, dignity, and worth. And at this time, the Jewish people didn't really see Gentiles of equal value, worth, and dignity. And there was a reason for that. We'll dig in a little bit. A little Bible study lesson. It won't take long. In the Old Testament, there was a distinction made between these two main people groups, the the people of Israel and the people of the nations, the Jews and the Gentiles. And God did set up certain boundary markers and social barriers for the Jews to abstain from certain engagement with the Gentile people. But if you dig into the Old Testament, you'll realize and you'll find out that the primary reason for that was so that the children of Israel wouldn't go astray and follow and worship the pagan gods of the Gentiles, which in that time period they did time and time again anyway. But even in the social distinctions and guidelines regarding how Jesus, the Jews were to engage or not engage with Gentile people, there's so many stories of God's mercy and love and acceptance to non-Jewish people groups scattered all over the Old Testament. You can just read the book of Ruth and the book of Jonah alone. The boundaries were never meant to be permanent. They were temporary. 
for the time would come that not only the Jewish people would worship the God of Israel, but all the people groups of the world from every nation, tribe, and tongue when God's Messiah, God's Christ, came. And we believe that that was Jesus of Nazareth. The reason why these boundary markers and social distinctions were so highlighted in Jesus' day and then a day of our Acts passage and God's mercy and love and acceptance was kind of minimized and mostly outright forgotten was simply Jewish history. If you were a people for generations after generations were invaded and conquered and imprisoned and oppressed and murdered and tortured and occupied and exiled and dispersed all over the known world by Gentile kings and their people, you might not see them with equal value, worth, and dignity either. I know I wouldn't have either. I might have, you might have leaned in on these distinctions and social barriers to separate yourself from such people. They had a kind of a good reason. But what Peter was trying to tell these church folk, what he realized himself is that Jesus came to abolish all the ways we divide and distinguish ourselves from one another, whether it's a good reason or not, whether we justify it or not. He came to establish the way of love and the way of forgiveness. See, Jesus' body was ripped apart so that we who are broken and divided against one another might be brought back together. He came so that everyone, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, young and old, black and white, Republican or Democrat, male, female, jocks and nerds, goths and preps, losers and popular might all be made one. Having one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one family. Jesus came to push the tables together, and he welded them with his own blood so that we can all sit and dine with him and with one another. That's what you're baptized into. You're not baptized into an idea or a belief system or a philosophy. You're baptized into a family, God's family. Peter calls it the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the household of God. That's what baptism is. And holy communion, that table, is the physical expression to its fullest of the kingdom of God on earth. Especially in the first century where communion was actually at a table eating a meal with people who you should have hated and have every reason to be divided against. But you're sitting and you're drinking from the same cup and you're eating from the same loaf and you're loving the same Lord and you're loving one another and it is a proclamation that Jesus is not dead, he's alive because he's got to be alive because there's no reason for these people to love one another the way that they are. It's a testimony of the resurrection of Christ. It's our greatest witness when you're kneeling at the altar and you're eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. In the spirit realm, it actually does something in this world. It's a symbol of our unity and togetherness, not only with God as individuals, but with one another. However, the church has struggled for thousands of years to sit at this one table, hasn't it? To move away from high school thinking and adopt the kingdom of God as their way of thought and life. 
And the reason why, I think, well, I firmly believe, is that we are divided inside here. We are divided in our own hearts and souls. There are parts of our personalities and pasts that we believe are not of equal value, worth, and dignity. We have sequestered those aspects of ourselves to the loser table and believe that is where they belong. We've tried to forget them or keep them hidden from God because we don't want God to see that part of us. We don't want to definitely look in the mirror and see that. And we definitely keep them hidden from other people. You see, there's that little 12-year-old inside of you who you blame for what happened to you, even though logically you know it wasn't your fault. It's that 15-year-old kid inside of me that I hate for making that decision that caused so much difficulty in my life. There's that little boy and little girl in each and every one of us that has believed the lie, whether it was told to them verbally or not, that they are unworthy and they are unlovable. That they are ugly and disgusting or stupid or failures or never amount to anything. That they are not welcome. That they do not belong. That they do not have a seat at the table. And most of the time we consider these parts of ourselves our worst enemy. You can pretend all you want that you don't have a loser table in your heart, but you do. That worst enemy within. But what did Jesus say for us to do with our enemies? Love them. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' new commandment in our gospel passage, in our gospel text this morning, to love one another as I have loved you, came right on the heels of Judas Iscariot rising from the table to go and betray him. And moments before, Peter, his best friend, would deny ever knowing him, and all of his friends and followers would abandon him and desert him. And yet he loved them to the full. John says in his gospel. He loved them to completion. He loved them to the end. We can only truly love to the degree in which we have allowed ourselves to be loved by Jesus. We are invited to allow Jesus to take a seat at our inner loser table and to love those parts of ourselves we've pushed aside and to teach us how to love them as well. To learn how to show compassion to our own hearts in the same way that Jesus has showed us compassion. To forgive ourselves the way Jesus has forgiven us. You know it's easier actually to forgive another person. The hardest person to forgive is yourself. It all begins on the inside, people. It's in our hearts. It doesn't start from the outside. It's in here. Then and only then will we grow in our forgiveness and acceptance of others. Then and only then will we see others who look different, sound different, speak different, vote different, think different, believe different, with equal worth, value, and dignity. Then and only then will the world see that we actually do belong to Jesus, that we are his disciples for the way that we love one another. 
Then and only then will we cease from participating in the divisions of this world and go out there bringing the peace of Christ to mend the brokenness. The world needs us, people. They need us. Showing everyone that they too are welcome, that they too belong, that everyone has a seat at the table. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.